Hey guys, I'm Cece. And I'm Jess. Welcome to Myth and Macabre, where we discuss the paranormal, supernatural, and everything spooky in between. This week, we are going to be taking a trip to Cranston to talk about the history and hauntings of the Sprague Mansion. Enjoy! Good morning. Morning. How are you today? Uh, It's been a week. It's fun. (laughs) You know. I was kind of secretly hoping it would get warmer as the week went on. I know I always talk about the weather. I'm kind of obsessed (laughs) with the weather. I really was hoping for slightly warmer weather this week. It's had that look, but it's still been cold. I know. I can't get my kids to put coats on. Like, they have to wear sweatshirts. My oldest, like, has this thing with... He says that his jacket makes him look fat, but... What a weird complex for a little boy to have. (laughs) It's just a jacket. Not really sure where he picked that up, um, (laughs) but now he insists on wearing sweatshirts, even though they're like three sizes too big and um, also look the same on him as a jacket that he thinks makes him look fat. But um, I mean... I 100% can't judge as I sit here in my (laughs) sweatshirt that is two sizes too big that I wear as a jacket because I do not wear a winter jacket. I have the sensibilities of a young boy. I once saw somebody complaining about that on the internet. They're like, why do boys not wear coats? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm an almost 35-year-old woman, and I also don't wear a coat. So. I mean, I don't either. It, so. it happens. Like, it's just a, by the time you get in the car and then, like, It's hot, just too much. Like, I'm like, I'm only outside for, like, 10 steps from the car to the building. I don't need a jacket. Right. But I wish it would warm up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need a jacket, but it's too cold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the jacket's not the problem. It's the weather. <laughs> But anyway, (laughs) I figured this week we could talk about the Sprague Mansion in Cranston, Rhode Island. I love that. I was kind of excited. So I know we spent a ton of time in Cranston as young people, and I had zero clue that this place even existed. So I knew that it existed because I, like, had friends that kind of lived in that area. So, like, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't realize it was, like, a haunted mansion until more recently. So I think, I'm just wondering if it's like a but I don't side really... of town we never went to. Like, I was like, I don't even, like, I looked it up on a map and was yeah. like, I'm not even sure I would have known how to get there. Like, no, we didn't hang, no, we were on, like, the other side. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> so that makes sense, yeah. But, like, I didn't realize it was, like, a haunted thing, but I, like, don't know anything about it. I just have seen it on those, like, most haunted lists and be like, ooh. Yeah, I mean, it's, so looking at pictures of it, I'm going to have to drive by it next time I'm in the area Mm. because it looks like a really cool looking house. It is. It's kind of, like, the area that it's in is, like, kind of weird because you're kind of just, like, driving down, like, this main-ish road and then it's just, it's just there. It's just sitting on, like, a main road? It's just on a main road. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that it's, like, either across the street or, like, next to or, like, really close to, like, a fire station. I don't know why I think there's a fire station oh, there, near it. According to Google Maps, there was a fire there station was, Okay, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's a fire station near It's just, it, it's really out of place for the area that it's in. It's Which kind of is kind of interesting because it makes me wonder if when it was built, like, so I think they, uh, I'll kind of talk about the, the house in just a second, but it was kind of originally built as, like, a little homestead. So I think there was, like, land around it. I don't think it was, like, a main road. So it's mm-hmm. kind of weird... To think about how this, like, bustling kind of street and everything just built up around this mansion. Yeah. But, yeah, so I was I was kind of excited because I was like, here's this mansion in this city that I've spent a ton of time in. I had no clue it was there. And you're right. It does show up on a ton of, like, most haunted lists, especially in Rhode Island. So mm-hmm. I was like, 
you know what? Our podcast needs this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do it. So the Governor William Sprague Mansion, which is how it is referred to, Mm -hmm. it is also currently the Cranston Historical Society. They own it. It was built in 1790 and was home to three generations of Sprague's. It was originally a simple homestead and was expanded in 1864 by Colonel Amasa Sprague, who is a junior. (laughs) This entire history, we're going to have such a fun time today because we have William II, the third, the fourth, there might be mention of the fifth, and Amasa and Amasa Jr. And they're all Sprague's that all have lived in this house. Fun. Yeah. So in 1864, an expansion was put on by Colonel Amasa Sprague Jr. that added a two and a half story addition and the entire residence is 28 rooms. Question, what is half a story? You know, (laughs) when I read that, it made sense to me. I think because I live in a split level, I think it's something like that. Okay. Where, like, there's a floor, maybe, like, six steps up to another area, and then there's, like, two floors above it, or the opposite way. But okay. that was how I took a two-and-a-half-story addition. That makes sense. I live in just a ranch. <laughs> Single story. <laughs> I have no stairs yes. on my property. <laughs> that was what I took that to mean. If it means something different, I mean, maybe, but that's how I took it. And then throughout history... The walls of the mansion have housed two separate William Sprague's, uh, both of which became Rhode Island governors and senators. Cool. It was really fun trying to keep all these people, these William Sprague's specifically apart. Did you have one of those like brain maps, like a brain map? I did. It was on a sticky <laughs> note, but yes, I did. And I also had like Ancestry.com open where it was like, this is whose parent is who. Ah. Because not all of the William Sprague's are in the same direct line. That That's too much. I know. Too many Williams. It's a very stately name, though. So I guess maybe that's why there's so many of them. Sure. So a bit of history <laughs> about the Sprague's because they kind of inform the home. I think one of the hauntings that we will talk about is potentially one of the Sprague's. So I figure it makes sense to talk about the history of the Sprague's. For a family that I had never heard of before researching this, they were like a big deal. Oh. Which was like kind of surprising to me. But I feel like I don't know this family either. Right? We're going to get into it. (laughs) (laughs) So the first residents of the Sprague mansion at the time that it was built were William Sprague II and Anna Potter. So I kind of came up with quippy names for the Sprigs to keep them apart. So this is Papa Sprague. <laughs> so Papa Sprague owned a local cotton mill, which for anyone not familiar with Rhode Island history, textile mills are like the industry that Rhode Island was founded on. Yeah. Slater Mill in Pawtucket was like the first industrial mill in the U.S. or I don't know how far back it goes. I don't know if we're still in colony names at that time. But it was like the first mill in the U.S. Rhode Island was just had a booming textile mill yeah. industry. There was like a whole bunch of like throughout the state, a whole bunch of old mills that were converted into like apartments and condos and stuff. So yeah. Like and they're, they're all over the place. Yeah. So they had one of these cotton mills and... They go on to have four children, of which the oldest two become notable Rhode Island history people. 
notable people in Rhode Island history. <laughs> Amasa Sprague, the oldest boy, was born in 1798, and the following year, William Sprague III was born in the Sprague Mansion. See, that confuses me when people, like, have, like, a junior or a third, but it's not, like, their first child. So I kind of thought the same thing. I don't thing. know why I, that throws me off so much, but it just, I don't understand it. For the first half of my researching, I thought William Sprague third was the oldest of the two boys, because there's a lot of talk about how he was born in the Sprague mansion. Mm-hmm. But as I kind of started doing some digging, I had to go back and, like, fix that note that he was not the oldest boy because Amasa was the oldest boy and was born after they had the house. So I'm assuming Amasa was also born in the house. We're kind of in Mm -hmm. an era of home births. Right. But yeah, they make a big deal about, I think because the house is called the William Sprague mansion, they're like, William Sprague the second was born here. He's such a big deal. Or the third was born here. It's such a big deal. But yes, he was not the oldest child. Okay. So as they grew up, both boys helped in their father's expanding textile mill and industry, and both took interest in state politics. Amasa represented Cranston in the Rhode Island House of Representatives, and William went on to serve as the speaker for the Rhode Island House of Representatives around the same time. So these are the two boys? The two boys, yeah. There's actually not a lot of information about the two girls in the family. Okay. I think... One of them went on to marry another political influential person. That sounds right for the times. Yeah, but there's just not a ton of information about them. William went on to become a prominent member of the Whig Party at the time and was eventually elected to the United States Senate. So they're very political, very well-known, very public family. Mm Mm-hmm. So when Papa Sprague passes away in 1836, Amasa and William found the A&W Sprague Company that continues this textile empire that their father has started. Okay. Yes. (laughs) You said A&W and I'm like, root beer, what? I thought the same thing and then I was like, oh, Amasa and William. Yeah, no, it took me a minute. Perfect. So they run the company together until the untimely death of Amasa on New Year's Eve in 1843. And there's a bit of a story there because it's, you know, not common to drop dead at a young age on New Year's Eve. No. Sounds like a conspiracy. Well, it's actually an unsolved murder. (laughs) On November, I just like was laughing, cackling about murder. On New Year's Eve in 1843, Amasa leaves home for a business trip. Nobody thinks anything about it. Seems like a totally normal thing for him to do. He runs this textile mill. He's in politics. He's just an important guy with important places to be. The next morning, his body is found and he has been shot and beaten within eyesight of his residence. Oh, so it's like like he walked out the door and he did not make it anywhere. Yeah. So no one seems to know exactly what happened because his, like, money that was in his wallet, he had a very expensive watch at the time, they were both still on him. So they assumed that this was not a robbery, but perhaps some kind of crime of passion from somebody who was upset with him. Mm-hmm. So like a political enemy. So actually, <laughs> they think that it was these three, well, they accused the three Gordon brothers, were people who lived in town at the time. Their names were Nicholas another William, and John. Nick was a local tavern owner and had recently had his liquor license revoked. And it had been revoked because Amasa was upset and had insisted that the Cranston City Council revoke his liquor license. 
Why was he upset? I could not find that information. Okay. I looked, but I could not find okay. it. Probably something to do with, like, Sidereum politics or, like, a ruckus. I mean, who knows? That's Probably. all speculation. But he was kind of the reason why this liquor license got revoked. Mm-hmm. So the police decided it was probably these three brothers because he was shot and beaten. They came to the conclusion that it was more than one assailant. So they were like, must have been the three of them. Right. So they go to trial and one of the brothers is found not guilty. Another one of the brothers has a hung jury. So that kind of gets thrown out. Mm -hmm. And John is found guilty and executed in 1845. Since then, however, researchers have been able to prove that John was not involved at all. And he's been posthumously pardoned for the crime. They think that it was due to, at the time, there was a lot of discrimination around Catholic people and Irish people, Mm -hmm. both of which demographics the Gordon brothers fell into. Makes sense. So they think that they were just targeted by the police. Right. And, like, there was a reason there. So, like... Yeah. They can kind of get away with it. There's like a, like a vague motive. <laughs> but yes, they've determined that, that he actually wasn't the one who did it. And so to this day, they actually don't know what do, happened or who killed him. Do we know how they determined that it wasn't him? I do not. Okay. <laughs> I found a couple of articles about how they have posthumously pardoned him. Not a ton about what happened. Okay. Which I'm is kind sure. of weird. I'm like, why wouldn't you release that this happened like 200 years ago? But right, And you're also like... Telling me that he didn't do it and saying, oh, we're like, you know. Maybe it's somewhere, but, him, I, but anyway. I didn't find it. Yeah, that's fine. I so <laughs> that's all right. So after his brother's death, William continues to carry on the company business. And as far as I can tell, and I was on like Ancestry.com. I was looking at all kinds of articles trying to kind of follow the family tree. It does not appear that William Sprague III got married or had children. Okay. He goes on to become the president of three separate railroads and like two different banks kind of all across the Rhode Island, Connecticut area. Mm -hmm. And as far as I can tell, the ownership of the mansion passed from Papa Sprague to Amasa Sprague, which makes makes sense. sense. He's the oldest. He's the one with the family. It just kind of all makes sense. So regardless of that, though, William stays in the Providence area until he passes away in 1856. Which brings us to the next generation of Sprigs. Yeah. We have another William and another Amasa. <laughs> Keep them straight. Good luck. <laughs> so before his mysterious death, Amasa and his wife Fanny have four children. They have two daughters and two sons. Mariana seems to go on and leave a pretty normal life. I couldn't find a whole lot about her. Mm -hmm. I think kind of like we mentioned in our last episode about the witch Bonnie, which was two episodes ago because I can't count. (laughs) I think she was just kind of a woman who lived a regular life. Like there wasn't much notable about her. I couldn't find much about her. Almira, their second daughter, goes on to marry Thomas A. Doyle, who is a mayor of Providence. Okay. Amasa Sprague Jr. goes on to inherit the house and the textile empire, as well as Narragansett Park. He founded he founded Narragansett Park, mm-hmm. which is like horse racing at the time. I don't know what it is now or if it still exists now. But yeah, I'm like, I feel like I know that. But like, where is it? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> but it's horse racing. <laughs> I looked that part up and I did not make a note of where it was. Okay. No, that's fine. It, or 
Never mind. I was thinking of something else. And it's worth noting, this Amasa is the one that put the expansion on the house. Okay. <laughs> and their fourth child, William Sprague the Fourth, naturally. Who was not named after his father. But his uncle, yep. And he goes on to follow okay. in his uncle's footsteps, actually. He becomes the governor of Rhode Island and then a U.S. senator. It just seems to be the way this family goes. <laughs> so all in all... It kind of, I kind of described what they went on to do just to kind of really emphasize that this is a well-to-do family we're talking about. We're not talking about your average Joes. (laughs) And it feels like, I think as far as I can tell, that also all of these children were born within the walls of the Sprague Mansion, which I think is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. There is a note that like William Sprague the fourth was, once again, we're still kind of in the era of like, people having children at home. So I'm assuming they're all kind of born there. Mm -hmm. So as they get older together, the boys of this generation take over the business from their father and uncle. During this time, Amasa Jr. builds the expansion on the home that I mentioned, and it kind of brings the structure to what it stands as today. Okay. So it was just like the one addition that was put on. That's what it seems like. Yeah. It still is like a pretty expansive mansion, but it seems like the only real renovation was this one addition, Mm -hmm. which comes into play with one of the hauntings in an interesting way. Okay. So he takes it over. And during this time, the civil war happens. And because of everything going on at that time and all of the textiles needed for the wartime efforts, Sprague textile manufacturing completely just like it booms they open eight other locations they begin producing more textiles than the entirety of the united states at the time that's craziness yeah and they become multi-millionaires like these are not like i'm completely shocked i never heard of these people because i'm like this is kind of a big deal i know and it's during this time i found one news article that said that the mills were profiting around 20 million dollars annually like That time money or today money? I think it's that time money. That's disgusting. Based on another thing I found that confirmed that time money number they had. So I'm like, I think that's in that time money. Gross. Yeah. So in the 1870s, Amasa Jr. builds another mansion in, do you say it? Coesit? Coesit. Rhode Island? Okay. I was looking at it and I was like, that's not how it's spelled, but I think that's how it's pronounced. And is that like a, was that a town once? Because now it's a road. And like an area I think it was like a, like an area. I think it wasn't really ever a town. It was just kind of like when you talk about like the Berkshires, it's not like like an area. Or it's an area, but it's not like a town. So it's like Edgewood and Cranston. Yes. In fact, they, they have an Edgewood mansion. (laughs) Okay. They talk about that. Yeah. So yeah, Kui said it's like a part of Warwick. I realized I just said that, but Edgewood, it might have been Edgewood in Washington, D.C. that I was thinking of that I read. Um, But same idea. So yes, he builds another mansion in Kui where he moves and lives there till his death in August of 1902. So I think just kind of for those following along with the history of the home, because we are going to jump into that soon. I don't know if he was the last Sprague to live in the home. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find, I'll kind of get into it once I kind of jump over to the the history of the house, but I couldn't find a lot about who owned the house between Amasa Jr. and when it was purchased by a print company in the 1960s. So there's like a 60 year? Yeah, that I don't know if like Amasa Jr. kept it and just didn't live in it. 
or if it was like property of the mills. I'm, I don't know. I could not find like anything about what happened in the middle. So, okay. But this is kind of the point where Amasa Jr. moves out with his family. Mm-hmm. And like all good things, the textile industry is not going to last forever in terms of what was going on. It does not remain the family cash cow. And between less than stellar investments on the part of management and post-Civil War financial crisis, which they called the Panic of 1873, by 1875, almost all of the Sprague assets are sold off. Oh. I couldn't find if the mansion was one of them. I really was like, that would make sense to me. It would make sense, but where did it go? But I have no idea where it went. But this, and I think this is kind of why we don't hear a lot about the Spriggs nowadays. Mm-hmm. I think the financial collapse happened and they just kind of fell off the radar. <laughs> <laughs> and from what I can tell, it doesn't seem like William IV, who is Amasa Jr.'s younger brother, took over the house either. So I'm, I'm thinking... It might have gotten sold, but I don't actually have proof. Like his brother, William loses a ton during the Panic of of 1873, which leads him down a road of drinking and infidelity. He ends up getting a divorce, which was like a big deal at the time, especially for his political standing. And he purchases a property uh, in Narragansett, Rhode Island, where he builds a 64-room Victorian-style mansion. With all the money that he doesn't have. So I think he started building it before the panic happened. I think he lucked out. (laughs) But according to an 1892 news article, the mansion was valued at $20 million, which in today's money is over $604 million. Ew. Yeah. I was like, that's... Is this mansion Nuts. still standing? Can we go see so, it? So, in <laughs> 1909, <laughs> it completely burned to the ground. Oh. 100%. I was like, I am so bummed because I would love to go see this. I know. And it is just gone. So, it's during his second marriage. The mansion burns to the ground. And he's just like, I'm done. And he packs up and moves to Paris with his wife. <laughs> and he lives in Paris until he dies. So he's not in the mansion either. No. And he actually, he got sent back to the U.S. for burial. He is buried in the U.S. in Swan Point Cemetery because he was a political figure Mm -hmm. in the U.S. He actually, fun fact, was the last living senator to have served during the Civil War. Oh. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Once again, though, I'm like, how come I've never heard of these people? They're doing all this stuff. And I just... Probably because we didn't pay attention in uh, high school history. (laughs) I'm going to say it's also because high school history, I think, didn't teach, like, I don't remember even really, like, doing a deep dive into state histories, which is a shame. I know. I was like, I mean, I feel like I should have learned it because I went to high school in Cranston. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. Didn't learn about it. (laughs) So... This kind of brings us to the end of the Sprague line as far as is relevant to the house. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I couldn't figure out who owned it after Amasa Jr. But in 1966, it became, the structure as it stands today, became housing for superintendents at the Cranston Print Works Mm -hmm. before it was sold to the Cranston Historical Society in 1971. They still own it. There's this really cool document I found, and we will link in the show notes, that is like 
scanned copies of their like application to enroll <laughs> it into the historical society. It has some cool pictures. It's kind of a cool document. It talks a little bit about the history of the house, a little bit about the history of the family. Basically, it's their appeal for why this should be on the National Registry of Historic Places. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of cool. And there was some kind of kind of controversy around some cannons that may or may not have been owned by one of the William Spragues. And whether or not that should go back to like the military because they're government things or whether or not he owned them himself. So they belong with the house. They are at the house as it stands now. Okay. It's just kind of, there's still some kind of cool, cool history between there. But so that's the history of the house. And my question was, okay, but is it haunted? (laughs) That's always my question. But where are the ghosts? If you're going to put yourself on the list of most haunted places, I need to know what's going on. So, and I was kind of, I don't know if this place is actually haunted, but I'm kind of pleasantly surprised that we have one of those kinds of ghosts that I like. So I was excited to talk about it. According to the people who are part of the Cranston Historical Society and visitors, which include ghost hunters and paranormal enthusiasts of all types, there is a belief that the house is haunted in a couple of different locations by a couple of different ghosts, which I thought was pretty exciting. That is exciting. I'm excited. It seems like there's like four main areas and those areas are the cupola, which is... For anyone who doesn't know what this is, because I had to look it up. I don't know what that is. It's an architectural structure on the top of a house. It's walled in, but it's kind of like a like a widow's walk. Okay. So the one on top of the Sprague Mansion almost looks like the top of a lighthouse, but there's no light in it. It's just like windows oh, on yeah, all yeah. the sides okay. of this like round room at the okay. top of the house. And from what I found in some reports talking about it, I don't know if it's still the case now that other things have built up around the house, but when that cupola was built, you could see for like miles in every direction from the Sprague Mansion. I don't think that you'd be able to anymore. I don't think you could either. Thinking of the area correctly. (laughs) But at the time, you could like see everything that was going on around. So that's one area that they claim is haunted. They also claim there's a haunting entity in the wine cellar on the main staircase. And in a room called the doll room. No. Mm-mm. And we're going to talk about them in that order. <laughs> so the haunted area with maybe the least information about it is the cupola at the top of the house. Some people claim that there is a lady that can be regularly seen in the cupola. Sometimes she is looking down at the street or at the people below. And other times she's pacing back and forth. As for who she might be... That's kind of a speculation thing. I couldn't find a ton about people who died in the Sprague mansion. There was a Masa who died like out in the road nearby. Mm -hmm. But it seems like in kind of in line with some of the other haunted spaces we've talked about, it seems like people consider this space to be haunted by people who maybe had high associations with the property. Yeah, like they just, they didn't necessarily die there, but they had unfinished business at the property. exactly. So when it comes to who might be the woman in the cupola, there are a lot of wives and daughters who were closely associated with the house. And no one kind of really is able to pinpoint who it might be, but some think that it might be Kate Chase. And she was the first wife of William IV. 
the one that lost everything in the panic and then, and then the got fire. a divorce. Yes. And then same the fire. one. Okay, yes. that one. So she was the first wife, so she would not have been in the fire. In fact, after they got divorced, she became a prominent figure in Washington, D.C., which is where she died. Good she, for her. She became like a recluse. Some people say she started to go a little bit insane, but some people think she might be the woman in the cupola. Other people just call it simply a woman in black. Okay. It's not a woman in white, so. So it's a little different than our <laughs> ghost stories that we're used to. Yeah. So I was like, okay, maybe it's haunted. Maybe it's not. That to me, not an exciting ghost story. The wine cellar and the main stairwell are both believed to be haunted by the spirit of Amasa Sprague. They think he died pretty close to the house. Makes sense that his spirit mm-hmm. would be here. And it wasn't like. It was like an untimely. Yeah, it wasn't like he like died in his sleep when he was old. Yeah, no. (laughs) So some people believe that that's him. There's a drafty breeze and some cold spots in the basement. There have been some records of people seeing kind of a ghostly apparition, and there have been accounts of a ghostly apparition that descends the main stairwell. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd be haunting the wine cellar if I was a ghost. So like, I get it. (laughs) maybe i mean i'm not much for wine but i guess i could see it (laughs) well i don't know if you do you watch the show ghost on i think it's on cbs no i've wanted to check it out but i haven't seen it it's good you should watch it okay but in that show the ghosts they can't like eat things obviously but they can still smell things and like one of the characters is a chef so like every time he's cooking all the ghosts are in the kitchen smelling the food so like i would be in the wine cellar smelling smelling the wine wine. (laughs) i like it (laughs) But yeah, so they think that's him, and they think that just he lived in the home, it was his home, and that he's just kind of maintaining his his status as the owner of the home. Yeah. My favorite haunting story about the Sprague Mansion, <laughs> however, has to do with Charlie the Butler. There are also some speculations that Charlie the Butler could be the apparition that they have seen in the basement, in the wine cellar, but... They think that Charlie the butler is the entity that people report being when they're in the, when they are alone in the doll room they report feeling not alone. No. Some people have reported a white apparition, like whitish foggish apparition in the doll room and they all feel pretty confident that this is Charlie the butler. Did Charlie like the dolls? No. <laughs> Charlie but I'll get like to why dolls. Charlie might be stuck in the doll room. Okay. Now, I could not find any actual evidence that there was ever a butler named Charlie, for what it's worth. I mean, that sounds, it sounds fun. Is a bit Charlie of a butler. bummer, but it's a fun story. So legend has it that in 1968, which is three years before the Historical Society purchases the building, mm-hmm. that there is a Brown University student who is living in the Sprague Manor and working as a caretaker for the property at the time. I couldn't figure, find any verification on this because in 1968 it was owned by the Printworks. Right, and also I feel like that's in the 60s a long way to travel if you're going to university at Brown, or if you're going to school at Brown University. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. So that part to me, I was like, um, it's I don't know, I don't know how far away it is, but like, I was like, it's owned by the Printworks and the superintendents of the Printworks are living in this building. So like, or at least like have some kind of break area in this building. Mm-hmm. It didn't quite hold water, but it's a fun story. But it's fun. So okay. we're going to go with it. 
So legend has it this Brown University student who's taking care of the property decides to hold a seance in the mansion. Okay. I honestly think this legend came out of the satanic panic of this time, but it's going to be fun. Makes sense. So the legend continues that he holds a seance and gets in touch with this spirit in the home and finds out that in the 1880s, a live-in butler named Charles had arranged for his daughter to marry the son of the owner at the time. Okay. Now, by the 1880s, Amasa Jr. doesn't live there, so this legend must have happened during the dark ages of this <laughs> place. I, I couldn't even figure out who the owner was to even try and look into what was going on. But the Sprigs have moved out, so I don't Someone's know. Someone's living here. So I'm assuming it's got to be, if if it were, if there were any truth to this legend, it would have to be somebody wealthy enough to A, purchase this home, and B, have a butler. So either way, I digress. <laughs> but before, the, the story kind of continues on, before Charlie could ensure that his daughter would be the future recipient of the mansion's inheritance, the son goes off and marries someone else. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and... From this point in the legend, it's said that the Ouija board at the seance begins to move violently and the spirit keeps repeatedly spelling out, my land, my land. Mm -hmm. They say that the participants of the seance asked what they could do to put Charlie's soul to rest. And in the most convenient of ghost legends, Charlie responds that they simply need to tell his story. Right. Which to me is totally like a campfire ending to a story. Like, it is. all we have to do is keep telling it. It's like Either the way, ring over here. <laughs> right. I'm like, okay. Does the story sound a little like it's false? Yes. But that's all right. So after the seance in the years that have gone by since this legend has become a thing, people, including one of the people that helps curate the mansion. I couldn't find when the article I was reading was from. <laughs> so I don't know. It was on kind of a makeshift website. Okay. So I don't know if this person is still one of the curators of the museum. But she claims that it makes sense that people would be feeling Charlie's spirit in the doll room. So the doll room is this small, almost closet-sized room that housed a collection of dolls from one of the previous owners. I couldn't figure out how far back that went. That it was, but it was like this room filled with like creepy dolls. And they were, uh, the curator was talking about how the space that is now the doll room was previously part of the servants' quarters mm -hmm. before the home was like renovated. Okay. One report said before the addition was put on, which would put us back before. Amasa Sprague did the addition, and I was like, okay, but that's like well before 1880. Right, that doesn't so make sense for the timeline. I don't know if it had to do with renovations that were made now to kind of display some of the Sprague Manor memorabilia. There is a ton of it in the house, from what I understand. I haven't been to the house, but mm -hmm. there was a note on a couple of different articles that there is a bunch of like original Sprague property in the mansion. Which also makes me wonder what happened to it during this kind of dark age. Like, I feel like if somebody else moved in, right, and they would have cleared out the old stuff. Like the printing company that owned it, like they just kept all the stuff. In the uh, house. Yeah, like, like I'm not quite sure how it all lines up. <laughs> or did I guess, they have to go find it and like get it back? From yeah, it maybe, maybe they found it from some of these other mansions that these. I mean, not the one that burned down, obviously, mm -hmm. but like 
Amasa Jr. also had another mansion. So, right. like, maybe it's from there. I could kind of see the print works being like, we want to maintain the integrity of this house. We're going to rent it and just use the kitchen and stuff for the superintendents to, you know, take their lunch breaks in or something. I feel like that's such a waste of a house. <laughs> it totally would be. I, I just couldn't quite find enough information to make this legend like hold water. <laughs> but that is why he was said to haunt the doll room is because that used to be the servants quarters, which that makes, makes sense. sense. Do you think that maybe people don't feel alone in the doll room? Cause there is a bunch of creepy dolls staring at you in the doll room. I mean, that would be enough to make me not feel, that would be enough <laughs> to make me not go in the room, but that would also make me not feel alone. Um, there have been reports. So also, Typical haunted house stuff, orbs, Mm -hmm. footsteps, disembodied voices, all those things that you can't verify and that are just so, in my opinion, easy to describe away. But uh, so all that happens there as well. Cold spots, all the good stuff. But it seems like there have reportedly been like some some sightings of these apparitions, which is why Mm -hmm. I think Charlie gets kind of locked into the doll room. I don't know why every time you say Charlie, I have that YouTube video in my head. (laughs) Charlie! Charlie Charlie bit me! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that throwback. (laughs) So, I don't know if I believe the ghost story, but I am excited that there is an actual resident ghost. And I think the people that maintain the historical society are also really excited that they have a resident ghost, because... I don't know if it continued on after the pandemic, but prior to the pandemic, the mansion played it up and would hold an annual Charlie the Ghost Party. That's amazing. And why have I never heard of this? Right? I was like, okay, <laughs> belief in ghosts aside, I would totally go. And it's it's basically a fundraising event. All the proceeds go back into the historical society for maintaining the building. Mm-hmm. They have mentalists and fortune tellers and raffles, and they usually do it like the week before Halloween. I love. I was like, this is great. I, I love what they're doing. I still am not entirely sure whether or not it's haunted. As I like to say, whether or not it's haunted is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> but. I think it's kind of cool that they play it up. I like that they play it up and don't try to deny it. I will say Mm -hmm. some of the haunted hotels I've tried to research where the hotels are kind of in denial that people go there because it's haunted have made it really hard to research. They have. Yeah. Because like that was when I did the hotel one. Like I came across that a lot like in season one. And then there was that one hotel, like, what was it, the Kennebunk Inn, I think, Mm. that was just like, yeah, we're haunted. Like, here's all these newspaper articles where we talk about those ghosts. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's hard, especially for hotels that are still active today. Mm -hmm. If they don't want to play up the fact that they're haunted, it's hard to find anything about them. Yeah. Stanley Hotel in Colorado is a great example of they're just like, yup, we're haunted. People stay here because we're haunted. Like, like they, they love come it. here to see a ghost. Exactly. So I was kind of excited that this one had, you know, a resident ghost. And as for the property today, if you wanted to visit it, it is owned by the Cranston Historical Society. Their website was not working. <laughs> it set down for maintenance. And oh, I, I got that in my research for next week, too. There was one website, and I was like, oh, this is going to have like, a ton of good stuff. And it yeah. Was like, down for maintenance. Well, that's kind <laughs> of what I thought, too. And then kind of reading the spine print, I think there's like a domain problem. Like, mm. the, I think they might not even know that the website's down. So oh. I think the one I was doing was like boston.gov. So I'm like, oh, well, they I'm That should be okay. <laughs> they know right? that they're down. <laughs> but it does appear that they open up for events. They're 
maybe do tours? I can't tell because the website was down. Based on some of the reviews that I found for the mansion on like Google, it sounds like maybe they do do tours. I don't know if they only open a couple of times a year and do tours or if you can get tours all the time. Mm -hmm. But it seems like it's a place worth checking out for like a variety of reasons. Like it might be haunted. It's a gorgeous looking house. Mm -hmm. It really is beautiful. It is a huge part of Rhode Island history. I mean, the people that live there were like multi-million, they they probably were pretty close to billionaires in Mm -hmm. today's money. Like, and it's kind of, you know, I was talking to my husband about it and was like, it's kind of funny that like the Newport mansions are still all around. You hear all about them. Mm-hmm. I lived in Rhode Island for like over a decade and a half and didn't even know the Sprague Mansion was a thing. Like, I, like the only reason that I know it's a thing is because like I, I lived in Cranston. And I'm like, is, did this family, was their fall from grace just that big? Like, like we just don't, we don't talk about Bruno. Right. <laughs> We don't talk about the Sprigs. (laughs) Right? It's kind of what it feels like, though. Like, people go and they hear about the Newport Mansions decorating for Christmas. And you can go tour them. And, like, you can go have a great time with them. And I'm like, how come nobody talks about this other one? Like, I think a part of it is because, like, Newport is, like, how should I say this without offending the place that I spent a lot of time? Uh, (laughs) Is a more refined community. Sure. (laughs) And, like, it makes more sense for mansions to be there. But if I'm... It's been so long since I've been like by the Sprague Mansion, but if I'm thinking of the area that it's in correctly, it's it's not the area you would find a mansion. Yes, you mentioned that, and I guess I could kind of see that being the so like like. Do you reason. want all these tourists somewhere where there's no parking because everybody lives around the man? Like there's that's true too. It is like it. residential. Yeah. So I mean, maybe that's why they don't play it up. I don't know. But yeah, either way, I think if you are in Rhode Island, if you find yourself in Cranston, I think it's definitely worth checking out. It seems like. Even ghost stories aside, it's just a very cool place. Yeah. Well, I'm going to plug this because my mom sent me this and, you know, let's let's get the Sprague Mansion some business. Will this still be relevant in two weeks when this episode comes out? Yes, it absolutely nice. will. <laughs> Hold on. Let me find it. So I don't know if this is a thing everywhere. I know it's a Cranston thing, but like the first weekend in May, there's usually like a May breakfast. Is that a thing? I've never heard of it, okay. but I like it. I think it's a Cranston thing because... Do, like, multiple restaurants and things do it? No. So usually it's done at, like, the Roads on the Patuxet. Um, Oh, okay. Every time I've done it, somewhere near the Roads on the Patuxet. It's around there. Usually it's around there. But this year, on uh, Sunday, May 7th of 2023, the May breakfast is going to be at the Governor Sprague Mansion in Rhode Island. Awesome. So it's 10 a.m. on Sunday, May 7th, and you can get tickets for $25. Very cool. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, it looks like it's going, proceeds are going to some kind of Defenders of Animals, maybe. All you right. You can buy tickets at DefendersofAnimals at MSN.com. So cool. Free advertising for the spring mansion. <laughs> I like it. There you go. But cool. yeah, no, it's like, it's a thing um, that I always used to go to every year as a kid. My, my mom would take us to like May breakfast. I, I don't know. Wherever like was hosting it. Yep. Have no idea like what the purpose of it is. I'm assuming it's like a fundraising thing. Yeah. Um, Your mom did always like stuff like that. I know. Um, but she she did send me that, and then you said you were doing this, and I was like, ooh. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I love it. How timely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. I, that is all I have for the Sprague Mansion today. A history filled with Williams and <laughs> with lots Williams. of money and a couple of ghosts. <laughs> and sounds good. Yeah. It was fun. Thanks. <laughs> I still don't like the doll room. 
Yeah, no, I never want to see that. That I could <laughs> not see that in my entire life and be perfectly fine. Yep. But yeah, that's all I have for today. All Thank right. you for listening Bye. to today's episode about the Sprig Mansion in Cranston, Rhode Island, and the crazy William Phil's history. For more Myth and Macabre, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Myth and Macabre. If you have any stories you want to share, anything you want us to cover, if you just want to say hi or correct any misinformation that we may have given, because I know that there's a lot of information out there. I do. Sometimes I'm like, somebody out there has to know better than me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, so so much is conflicting. Am I picking the right thing? Um, but anyway, so if any of that, you can email us at mythandmacabre at gmail.com. Bye.